Hello, Sydney. <laughs> What's your favorite scary movie, JC? Scary movie. Scary movie is your favorite scary movie? <laughs> oh, man. There's too many. Um... It's actually pretty hard to decide on what my favorite scary movie is. But, like, yeah. if I was to really choose one, I'd actually have to say it's, like, something like The Conjuring from uh, from James Wan. Are you a fan of The Conjuring? I, I am, but I don't, um, everyone says it's like the scariest movie, but I don't, I didn't feel that way. Um, I do, I do rate it. I did enjoy it, but I just, I don't know. I didn't see what the hype was. Um, I don't think I it's the scariest movie. It's I think not, what's no. really good about it is it's just very well crafted. Yeah. Um, James Wan is a genius at directing horror films and I want to see him do more of it. Yeah. And he's a great writer in horror as well. You know, he's kind of like the the horror director that we've wanted since John Carpenter or something, you know? Mm, or Wes mm, Craven. Mm. He's definitely got yeah. a string of, of titles. Um, I can't say that all of them are great. Um, yeah, that's a hard question. Um, yeah. I, can, I can probably list some notable ones that I find um, what I would like, what I say I would like in the genre, but I feel like that's personal taste. Like uh, Hereditary, I found was like really creepy. I thought I think when a, a good horror movie leaves a lasting impression, that's mm. what I define as a good horror movie. Um, so Hereditary yeah. was definitely one you can um, that springs to mind, I should say. <laughs> and Hereditary is what they reference in this movie as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Come on, this 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 surprise surprise the crowd and uh, surprise the listeners and say that your favorite scary movie is Halloween. Halloween. Mm. I remember getting creeped out by the the first remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, mm. The original, not so much. Um, but I believe that they're actually remaking it again. So I'm going to be well. The latest one came out time. last year, which I saw. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I missed that one. I didn't realize it had already dropped. You're not missing out on anything, anyway. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's something there's something uh, unnerving about a, a, a running chainsaw that just drives uh, adrenaline through the roof. And I don't mm. know if you've played any of the Resident Evil games, but um, I think in Resident Evil Four, uh, you hear this chainsaw, and he has a he has a name, Doctor Something. Um, and the moment Dr. you hear Jim. that chainsaw, you just you freak out because for some reason everyone <laughs> just freaks. I was like, oh my god, there's a chainsaw. It doesn't matter if there's like zombies or monsters, but the chainsaw is what gets people. But um, that's the power of those classic horror films is that they have to have a very iconic weapon to kill their victims, right? Mm. Um, Mike Myers was the knife. Yep. Um, Texas, Ch- like, what's his name? Um, Leatherface. Uh, Leatherface, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it's a chainsaw for him. Freddy Krueger, it's, it's the knives. Finger, on his finger knives. Finger yeah. knives, yeah. Who else is there? Uh, oh, Jason the um, Machete. Jason the Machete, yeah. Yeah. That's what makes um, them really scary. I mean, without those weapons, they wouldn't be as scary. Can you imagine running them, them running around with just their bare hands? <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so I think... Actually, Mike as... Myers could pull it off, right? Like, Mike Myers could put off, like, the fact that he can just run around without, like, a knife. Yeah. Uh, You've got, um... I wouldn't say this was scary, but this definitely... And I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite. Um, but I did go through this Netflix binge at one point. Um, and I was up late and I was up to like three or four in the morning. I think I was cleaning my room and I just threw on some trashy horror movies in the back. 
background. And there's this movie on um, Netflix called The Terrifier. It's really bad, but it's it's got some iconic scenes and it's basically become a cult classic amongst the community. So much that they've greenlit a sequel. Oh, wow. So if you haven't seen it um, and you love horror, I would say just watch it for the sake of it being a horror movie. <laughs> um, don't expect anything great in terms of story, though. That's all I'll say. Oh, the title sounds pretty horrible. Yeah, but it's a clown. And if you don't like clowns, that's probably not going to be good for you. But, um, <laughs> I don't mind clowns, you know. Scary movies, if they're good, then it's yeah. it's going to be worthwhile going to the cinema for it. And I think that's part of the experience is going to the cinema, seeing it in a dark place. And being a part of a packed crowd, which unfortunately we didn't get to see this screen movie in a packed crowd, mm. even on opening night, that was like probably the biggest disappointment of the film. But yeah. um, seeing it in a packed theater, opening night, super dark, you know, you're going to get all the cult, like the horror film genre, uh, cult diehard fans that like to go to these films, which mm. is fun. And everybody screams and gets frights at the same time. I, I don't think... Uh, the last horror movie that I saw with a packed um, cinema, I think, was The Ring, and that was in the early 2000s. The Ring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I think there was such a, a a talk about that movie that everyone wanted to go see it. Mm. Um, but, yeah, like, I don't think that the, the genre do, does too well. Because, you know, if you look at a lot of the horror movie ratings, Metacritic, IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes, they never scored high. So therefore, it doesn't have that great pull um, for a massive crowd to come along, unless it's got this commercial success, if you want to say that. But True. you know, like yeah. you said, you're gonna you're gonna pull in those people that really love horror, and maybe the people who like to subscribe to like you know uh, what's that thing called Shutter, which does uh, a lot of the horror, you know, indie horror films and mm-hmm. shows and series. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think yeah. there's another element of people liking, liking like having. Uh, a horror movie screening at home with loved ones inside their own home where they feel safe and comfortable, you know, eating popcorn and, you know, Where's the fun in that, man? No, I know. I know. Let's stay in and watch a horror movie. I'm of the, I'm of the, like the OG horror crowd where I want to be by myself in a dark room with my Mm. own popcorn and blast the sounds of a really good horror film. <laughs> mm. and that's interesting to say because horror is usually defined a lot by the sound you know like yeah. if you watch a, a scary movie or a game without sound it's not scary <laughs> yeah i know i know it's yeah. true yeah. and speaking of which we should probably welcome everybody to this podcast right yes that might yes, be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh welcome everybody to the podcast we talk movies to death joining me today is uh, jc on his comeback tour to my podcast you (laughs) (laughs) and apparently jc doesn't have a specific horror a favorite horror film but i'd probably say that my one is yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna say it's the conjuring and not the conjuring 2 i think the conjuring 2 is good just nowhere near as effective as the first one Mm. are you saying your favorite scary movie is the one that scared you the most or one that you could watch over and over again that's a hard one i mean there is a horror film that is really scary and scared me big time but it's mm. not a very good film um which one the blair witch like ah uh, yes that, that freaked the hell out of me but it's an awful movie because it's mm. not really a movie um but <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know if you'd count it but it 
I guess you'd have to count it because it's it's released as a film, but the whole um, the whole hype about it is the fact that they're trying to make horror films mm. documentary style while also presenting and promoting it as a movie. So mm. that scared the shit out of me. <clears throat> Okay. And I was also young, but then when I saw the remake of Blair Witch, and we we're talking about this after the the screening of mm. after we went to Scream, um, the remake of Blair Witch was freaking scary as well. And mm. I'm watching mm. it at, at an adult age, and I'm still freaked out. But I think a lot of that's just triggering my traumatic experience when I was 13 years old or whatever it was. So yeah, I mean that's that scares the hell out of me. Whereas something like The Conjuring is scary, mm. but I find the story terrifying. I don't find it scary because of the jump scares. And I don't find right. it scary because of the um, the sound effects that they use and the sound um, the sound production. All of that is actually really good. But those are just components of the film that brings it all together. Um, there isn't one thing in particular that makes it scary. It's the story and the way it's told, the way it's directed, is scary in and of itself. Do you, so yeah. for the readers, uh, sorry for the listeners out there. Do you have you a seen Conjuring three and b do you recommend it? Hmm. Mm. I'd recommend it to finish off the trilogy. Hmm. Uh, okay. It's not as it's just not as good as the first one. That's and sad. funny thing is, like you know, because we're talking about the Scream franchise, the Scream tra- franchise talks about how trilogies or sequels are never very very good. You know, yes. or there's, yes. there's certain Scream films that talk about how the sequel is never really a good one. Mm. And even when we come into this one, Scream 5, I mean, it's called Scream, but let's just, to minimize the confusion, we'll call this Scream 5 because mm. um, I don't want people to think that we're still talking about the original Scream when we say Scream, even yep. though this is called Scream. And there's a reason why this film is called Scream, and you only know that until you watch the film, and it's kind of a spoiler, mm. which we will get into spoilers when we do a deep deep dive and a recap into the movie. But um, it's a very smart way of marketing the film, but also smart in terms of its narrative. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Watch the whole trilogy of The Conjuring, but, um, okay. yeah, don't be excited that much. <laughs> I, what I will say, maybe not my favorite movie, uh, scary movie, but I think as a kid and as all kids, you know, as we're growing up, horror movies are very impressionable. Um, yeah. Definitely a couple to note that probably freaked me out or had uh, some sort of effect on me was definitely Freddy Krueger, like Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, the whole element the death of, of Johnny Depp. Do you remember that? Well, name? just that just the whole series, just being able to die in your sleep, you know, and then seeing it's the pretty song, scary. You know, one, two. Uh, I can't remember <laughs> the song now. You know, Freddy's coming for you, and then you know, Three, it just four. rings in you know in your head, and yeah, um, that's pretty creepy. What was the other one? Uh, Hellraiser, I think, I, I, Hellraiser, I think Friday the 13th, oh, sorry, yeah. Yeah, no, Hellraiser wasn't, uh, it was freaky just to see Pinhead, um, you know, on, on the cover of things, but I watched, I watched it again recently, and it doesn't hold, it's, it doesn't age very well. Yeah. Um, there was one more, but it's, it skipped, it skipped my memory, but, um, I want to say Friday the 13th, I think, I thought that was pretty scary when I was a kid. Um, yeah. Jason's I mean, a pretty scary character. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the menacing, like, you know big big dude with a hockey mask yeah, mm, definitely mm. has the effect yeah. i mean michael myers is the same thing like you know this big guy is silent and uh and then you got leatherface so all those guys in the 80s 
it just got really bad and, and funny when they started having those crossovers mm. like Jason versus <laughs> Freddy. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But, but, you know, I, I think the biggest reason why these classic horror films are so scary or the villains are so scary is because they're faceless people. Right? Yes. Yeah. Um, we can't connect to them emotionally because they just always wearing masks. Mm. Like if you, if you, if you imagine these villains without a mask, you'd have to literally write development of the character (laughs) in order for them to be menacing. Um, But what makes them really classically scary is the masks themselves. Mm. Evil Dead Um, is another good one. Sorry, go on. Oh, yeah, Evil Dead. Yeah. Yeah, oh, my gosh, that's actually really good, yeah. Um, I was actually just going to say, of course, my name is River Villian. I'm the resident (laughs) host of the Jet Cool podcast where we analyze, critique, recap, and review film. And speaking of comeback tours, it's not just JC, but it's also today's episode on Scream, which we're going to call Scream 5. Um, we'll be talking about the franchise in a little bit as well, not just this film. But this is the fifth installment of the Scream franchise, and it has been 11 years since the fourth film. The Scream films were created by legendary slasher film director Wes Craven, who directed all four Scream movies and sadly passed away in 2015. Um, the original Scream film was released on December 1996. The sequel, Scream 2, was released less than a year later on August 1997. I actually didn't even know that was that close. Mm. That's pretty crude. Like, considering that Scream 3 was actually released three years later mm. <laughs> um, on December 2000. And then we take a whole 11-year jump with Scream 4 released in April 2011, Mm. followed by another 11-year jump with now Scream 5, a.k.a. Scream, a.k.a. Scream 5. (laughs) Um, We're going to expect Scream 6 in another 11 years then. Do you reckon they'll call it Scream 6? (laughs) (sighs) Who knows? Maybe, you know, with the success of this one, they hopefully do another, but we'll have to... I hope this is successful because I really, really like this film. Mm. Um, But... Uh, I'll be if they do release another one, which I'm I'm hoping I'm sort of crossing my fingers and toes, hoping that they're going to release a sixth film. I just wonder what they're going to call it. Mm. Um, but yeah, this this movie was released. I'm pretty sure it was released worldwide, or at least here in Australia and the and North America on the 14th of January. So only last week, or last week, two days ago. <laughs> um, and this movie is set 25 years after the the streak of brutal murders. Um, in the quiet town of Woodsboro, a new killer dons the ghost face mask and begins to target a new group of teenagers to resurrect secrets from the town's deadly past. With a budget of $24 million, as of today's recording, it has made just over $13 million worldwide, mm. um, which is a little bit of a damper on its uh, um, opening. It's a pretty cold and weak opening for them, but I believe a movie like this is going to have good legs. I think this is going to rely on a lot of testimonies, you know, people like you and me who really enjoy this film mm. and recommend it to friends and families. And then it sort of begins a bit of a social media hype. Mm. Um, I think it will have legs. I'm just praying it does. Cause I want, I want to see it su- succeed, you know, with a, a good film like this, you always want to see it succeed. You, there is a, a large comment uh, thread on Nev's Nev Campbell, the main, uh, I would say in the series, uh, who's the series lead, mm. uh, with everyone praising the movie and you know loving to see her back in the in the in the, the franchise. franchise. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, 
it's it's pretty pretty good and i'm excited to see what happens out of this so with a runtime of one hour and 54 minutes this is the fifth installment directed by directing duo matt bedellini Alpin, I think is how I pronounce his name, <laughs> and Tyler Gillett, who made a name for themselves with the epic slasher thriller Ready or Not. By the way, you haven't seen JC, right? Ready or Not? No, that's on my to-do list. You need to, like, watch it straight after the cast, man, because that movie is so damn good, and mm. it makes a lot of sense that these guys would be the the correct duo to take on something like Scream, because Scream is, I mean... It's a it's big shoes to fill, man. You know, jumping into Wes Craven's shoes and try and mm. do something um, that is somewhat of a homage or a continuation of the legacy of Scream while also doing better because, you know, you mm. always want to make films better. Um, so big shoes for them to fill. But um, this is also the second Scream film, the second Scream film that is not written by Kevin Williamson, who has been on the right-hand side of Wes Craven for pretty much all the films. The only film that he didn't co-write, or not co-write, but didn't write, was Scream 3, Mm. FYI. And so instead of Kevin Williamson for Scream 5, we have now James Vanderbilt and Guy Busek um, to take on the writing credits. And in Scream 5 has the legacy cast members returned to their roles with Nev Campbell coming back as Sidney Prescott, Courtney Cox as Gail Withers slash, not slash, hyphen Riley, and David Arquette as Dewey Riley. Alongside brand new cast members, Melissa Barrera, Jenna Ortega, Marley Shelton, Dylan Minette, Jack Quaid, Jasmine Saboy Brown, Sonia Amar, Mikey Madison, Mason Gooding, Kyle Gauner, and Chester Tam. Scream 5 currently has a fresh tomato score of 75%, and it has an audience score of 86%. Mm. But of course, the only review that matters most is what we have to say here at Legit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what we're going to do is we're going to give you our first impressions, spoiler free. We'll probably go up to about, say, 10 minutes talking about the film, what our initial impressions are leaving the theatre. Um, completely spoiler free and then we'll dive deep into it recap the entire film obviously full of spoilers i'm going to start with you jc what did you think of scream five uh it was definitely very enjoyable um very nostalgic you know having that 11 year gap uh really took me back just to see that the way that it shot um the angles, the music used, the colouring, it just felt very reminiscent of previous Scream movies and big uh, big ups to the, the to everyone that was involved because I think this was a very, well, should be a very successful movie and people who were probably let down by some of the series' previous entries, they should be delightfully surprised and I'll leave it at that. Mm, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. I think for me, hmm. yeah, for me, I'm I'm pretty much the same. The, I was, I think just like any reboot or uh, continuation sequel or quadruple, whatever you want to call it, um, that tries to attach itself on the end of a massive franchise like Scream, it's always, I'm always concerned going into it. I'm always concerned on whether these guys are going to do it justice or if not do a better job. Mm. Um, 
And I think the one of the smartest moves that they've done here was bring the original cast members back, or at least the ones that are still alive. Um, <laughs> you know, so, so <laughs> well, Sydney Prescott and and Dewey and um, uh, Gail Weathers, you know, bringing them back was a really smart move for them. And the good thing is that they come back not just cashing in a check. They come back they have when they they come back because they have something to do in this film. Mm. Um, that's what I really enjoyed about it. And they also managed to establish new cast members that we can um, appreciate and also not fall in love with because, you know, these characters in these screen movies are not characters that you quote-unquote fall in love with the same way that you would in a, like, very dramatic or a Marvel film or whatever. Mm. Um, They're just characters that hold themselves pretty well. And with the brand-new cast members, it's... They've been handed the baton in a way that is honourable, respectful, um, but also delightfully um, well-performed. You know, I think everybody did a great job with their characters. And all these characters are pretty much the exact same characters, that kind of the archetypes that we've seen in the other Scream films as well. Um, our lead in this is... Um, who's our lead in this? Melissa Barrera, mm. who plays the older sister to Jenna Ortega. I think she's great. You know, she's supposed to be the Sydney Prescott equivalent to this new film. Um, and then all the other characters kind of slot into the same or similar characters that we've seen in the previous ones, and especially the first Scream film as well. Um, so I really liked it. It's the the kill scenes, like the the... Yeah, the kill scenes are just amazing. That's probably the most brutal kill scenes we've seen in any Scream film, um, which is awesome to see, and it's it's really well directed. Um, the blood is far more believable in this. You know, it's uh, it is the twenty first century, so of course, like um, the kills and the the blood scenes are going to be more believable. Uh, the only thing that still remains is the um, <laughs> lifting. The, the barrier of suspensive disbelief is, like, much higher now. There mm. are some scenes in this film where where there's certain kills happening, and you're like, uh, I don't, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to buy that, but, you know, I'll, I'll just kind of, I'll give you that, considering that everything else is working out really, really well. Mm. Um, there's a scene in the, in the beginning, for example, which we'll get into later, um, that kind of describes that. Um... Yeah, I love the original cast coming back. I mean, like, Sydney Prescott, um, what's her name? Uh, Nev Campbell. Nev Campbell. She's amazing. Mm. Like, she is amazing, and she's she is the mature and much more level-headed Sydney Prescott you would expect this many years later. Um, and she still has that kind of chip on her shoulder. It's, mm. it's not really like an obvious or classic chip on her shoulder, um, she brings that to the table in here and then she knows exactly what to do strategically while also still being challenged. Um, I think she was great. Even like Courtney Cox was great to see back in this and um, David Arquette was really good to see back in this. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, the movie is really enjoyable and I loved every bit of it. I mean, I don't know if you noticed like when <laughs> during the time that we were watching it, I was like, I was eating everything up. You know, everything was really <laughs> exciting and I brought everything and the cast is great. Everybody everybody like pulls in an A-class performance. Um, there's not a lot that I could say that was bad in this film. There are some bits that are not very good, um, primarily some characters that I didn't think fit in the story at all, but for the most part, it's a great film. So, yeah. Mm. 
there, there was definitely a level of continuity, which I think, you know, rewatching all of the, the previous entries uh, helped, con- you know, uh, fans reconnect with past characters and the lore of Scream and, and its movie. Um, and it just something that I have to, to touch on with the MCU, like just something that I appreciate a bit more. I think a lot of MCU heads love to look for all the Easter eggs and everything like that. And going back and watching the Scream movies, you see a few Wes Craven Easter eggs if you if you look hard enough. And mm. it's it's really nice to just have that and you appreciate the movie to a deeper level now. It's like, oh, you can see that he snuck in that one there. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I haven't actually done the deep dive of uh, Easter eggs yet. Uh, there's a lot of like YouTube recommendations because I've been, you know, obviously um, searching the keyword "scream" in my YouTube search funnel. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm getting all the recommended videos on the side, and I see a lot of like 20 things you missed in the first scream, or <laughs> you know, 25 Easter eggs, or 30 something, whatever. Mm. I should probably watch them at some stage. But um, uh, what would you give it out of ten? Just before we get into the recap, what would you? Before we get into the recap, I think it is well deserving of at least an eight. Um, I would mm. probably. Mm, I know that was it. IGN they gave it nine. Yeah. I would probably err towards the side of a high eight, but uh, but just below a nine. It's great, and I think it's probably one of the better entries. Um, looking at you, Scream Four. Um, but <laughs> Scream 2 and, th- you know, the Scream, the first three Scream movies were great for me. Um, I really enjoyed them and even rewatching them, I just enjoyed them. Uh, e- well, I enjoyed them again, being just being able to relive all those memories and just the time period that they came out, like the 90s and the early 2000s, the music mm. and the, you know, the technology that people were using for uh, shooting film, it's just changed dramatically. So for me, yeah, high eight. So if I was to actually put a number on it, let's say a eight point eight out of ten. Oh, okay, I like it. I like it. And yourself, nine. Oof, straight nine. Like no, nine no with check. some glitter, you know. Oh, so, so some, is that is that a point some, one or a... and some like fireworks in the background? <laughs> <laughs> like you know the twentieth twentieth century, century. Uh, fox um logo. Can you yep. imagine twentieth century fox? But instead of that, it says nine. <laughs> nine okay. out of ten. Okay, I, I absolutely love it. Really, really love that. I'm really looking forward to seeing it again. I wanted to go see it again yesterday. I didn't manage to. I was actually pretty lazy yesterday, to be honest. But um, um, I really want to go see it again. I'm looking forward to it. So, um, without further ado, why don't we get into the recap? We'll go through from the opening scene all the way to the credits. Um, and this is a great chance for anybody who's listening now. If you haven't seen the film, just leave. Press pause. You can come back to this. We'll always be here, right? Or if you just want this movie spoiled just because whatever, you're that type of person that likes to have spoiled movies before you even go see it, by all means, you're welcome to stick around and listen to what we have to say here. But um, we're gonna, I'm going to put in this really big transition right here. That's the spoiler-free zone gone. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone to the Twilight Zone. <laughs> um, let's get straight into it. Dewey's so- dead. So, so before we start, Ghostface wants to know your location. My location. <laughs> hey, my location's scary enough. I don't need Ghostface here. Ghostface here. Hey, can you, can you, is it pretty easy to find Ghostface masks? Like, I remember when the oh, screen yeah. movies came out, like, they were in every single Halloween shop, but now I can't really find them. 
Uh, I'm sure, like, if the franchise keeps up again, like, there will definitely be masks out there. I remember having one. Um, well, this was a missed opportunity for the franchise, right? Like, why didn't they just release it in Halloween? Well, I guess they don't want to have people running around with ghost face masks and knives, you know what I mean? Like, definitely, <laughs> I, I would definitely say that they're probably in costume stores for sure. Um, there's going to be at least a few people mm. that would be interested in getting it. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a bit harder to say. I'm going to order one right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um yeah so let's get straight into this um do we dies do we die you, you just went in no chaser <laughs> wow you, no you didn't hear, you didn't even hear what i said before i said it like as soon as i said spoiler free is gone i said do he's dead <laughs> oh right i think you muttered it and i missed that and i was like what did he say uh, okay yeah. Dewey yeah. is dead, and it's not like he's. It's like the previous Scream films where he gets stabbed, and you think he's dead, and he's actually not dead. Like he comes back somehow, but he's dead, right? Like he's full on dead now. Well, I mean, they put him in the bag. They made it very apparent that he was dead. Um, and I no, he that... was dead, man. The dude got stabbed how many times this time? Like, well, no, it's not just that. Did you see what they did with the knives? Like, he oh yeah, up he went down. up, up and down. Yeah, like behind yeah. and in front. Yeah, that was pretty gnarly. So it's like one of the most gruesome murders in this uh, in this movie, I think. If they were going to imply that you were going to like slice him in half and he just peels apart, then I would have thought that's too cheesy and creepy. <laughs> but um, but I like what he says um, just before he he does that that slice. He says it's been an honor, yeah. and I was like, wow, that that's a very meta comment uh, comment as well from him, right? Because mm. it's it's also it's also us as audience members saying it's been an honor to see you in the screen franchise, but yeah. also saying this is a goodbye to you. It's a perfect yeah. goodbye, I think. I mean, he's uh, um maybe he's done with the franchise. Maybe you know he didn't he he was reluctant to come back. But you know they said you know, write me out of the script, and this is the way they're doing it. So yeah, rather mm. than just having not appear at all, um, but you know you had to have that continuity where you know in Scream Four uh, you had Gale and Dewey being together, and then they you know address that they're not together in Scream Five. Mm. So yeah, you know, and this kind of gives that need for sydney to come back you know i I don't think if dewey didn't die sydney wouldn't have come back so there was no need for her to get involved yeah yeah Yeah. so that being the catalyst um it was part of the catalyst remember she she gets a phone call from dewey mm. um but she kind of denies it as well she's she kind of says like i'm not going to come back anyway yeah he he calls her to say stay away which was a great subversion right Mm. Um, this movie is full of subverts. It's awesome. It's absolutely mm. awesome. It's everything that I didn't know I wanted in a screen film. Mm. Um, let's start with the opening scene. All right. So the opening scene, we have Jenna Ortega's character, Tara, Tara Carpenter, the daughter of John Carpenter. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, she opens up the scene and in classic scream style in her house all alone for a an unknown reason. And by the way, we never know the reason why anybody is home alone in any of the screen movies. We make implications. There are certain things that allude to them being alone or why they should be alone, but there's no reason behind it. <laughs> it's just, they're alone in the house. Um, she's texting with her friend, Amber and receives an ominous, pho- ominous phone call with, or through her landline. Um, so, you know, here she's got her, like iPhone or a version of the iPhone within the screen film. And she gets a call through the landline. Like, why do people still have landlines in 21st century? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and of course we know how this plays out, right? Like every screen film, the person that's leading the scene always ends up dying by the end of the scene. Mm. 
The scene mm. runs for about 11 minutes, only to be surprised by her surviving, which we're immediately made aware of after the title presentation of Scream. Mm. What do you think of this part? Do you think it was a good opening? Do you think it was uh, too on the nose? Do you think it was accurate and enough for us to be like, yeah, I'm ready? Well, I mean, if you know, rewatching all the Scream movies, they always follow the formula. And, you know, that always opening scene, someone gets injured or hurt or dies. And like you said, in the previous movies, they always die. But this was interesting because they, they subverted it. And um, I lost my train of thought. But, you know, it was <laughs> setting up the audience to go, okay, you know what you came for. You know what you're expecting. You're expecting a kill scene in the first, in the opening. Uh, mm-hmm. But let's see how we're going to do it. What I found interesting about this scene is that she's quite young to involve in, uh, you know, some sort of, you know, murder uh, True. attempt. Well, how so old I is she thought, supposed to be in this scene? I, I mean, she looks know. like she's 12 years old or something. Yeah, that's what I assume she was like 12 or 13. Um, I found the, the, the uh, I want to call it the action, but the uh, suspense and action, like quite gory and gritty for its standards. Because yeah. you look at the previous uh screen movies they weren't probably as in depth in terms of like where things were getting shot and hit or stabbed i should say um mm. so this was very like for those that have who have now passed the spoiler zone getting stabbed in the hand uh what was the other places getting uh, stepped on the uh ankle that that's was, uh, right yeah, yeah that was bit... he does all of this in this first scene yeah but do we oh yeah hang on are we sure that it's the he Oh, at this point, I don't know. Yes, yeah, we don't I think know. it is the he because because remember he's te- she's texting Amber, and and this is why we're never really sus- well at least for me we're never suspecting that it's Amber as one of the killers because they're texting each other in this scene, which mm. is a great it's a great setup for um, subverting our expectation of who the killer is later on in the film, mm. um, especially when we're we're with her right at the end, um, Amber. And there's that whole kind of intense scene happening between the four of them, remember, inside mm. the living room where um, where one of the characters dies. Um, and then she just she just turns on that kind of like Manson, Charles Manson type face, like immediately. She's such a great actor, this amber chick. Mm. Um, and then she just like cold-bloodedly just shoots uh, the other chick uh, in the Liv. forehead. Yeah. yeah, Liv shoots her in the forehead. It's so brutal. Um, yeah. Did you, sorry, go on. No, 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 yeah, yeah. No, I was just gonna say, like, did you, did you expect the 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 revealing killers to be who they were? Well, okay, I mean, th- we're definitely gonna go into this, like, once we get to that part. But I okay. will say this: is that I had my suspicions from, let's say, about thirty minutes into the film. I had my suspicions, but those were debunked like pretty damn quickly. But then I was kind of schizophrenic about my answer. I was like, oh. I'm really unsure now. And me being so unsure about who the killer is, is just a good testament to how well this is written and mm-hmm. how, the, how well the characters are really written, the motivations mm-hmm. behind each character too. Um, so I, I was lost. I mean, it, it, it definitely reminded me of um, how much uh, suspense and, and the surprise element of the very first screen film, because the very first screen film, we're not expecting that it's going to be Billy. We're not mm. expecting it to be two people, right? Yeah, that's like, right. And, and if you, you know, I watched that film again recently in preparation of this film. 
like there's no way that you're suspecting it's going to be the other guy as well. There's mm. nothing that hints towards him at all. Mm. And and in fact, we actually don't have like he doesn't have a reason why he's a killer. He's just friends with him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, he's yeah. he's just friends with uh, with Billy, and he's just a psycho like with Billy, mm. which which can be a good thing, especially if he's not the main killer. You know, as long as the main killer has some kind of real reason and motivation behind his killings, then yeah, it, it can stand on its own. Um, but I wasn't, for one, I wasn't expecting to have two killers in this because remember the whole two killer thing for the Scream films only existed for Scream 1, Scream two. 2, and then that was it, right? Yeah. All of them were singles. Yeah. Uh, three and four were just, yeah, single killers. Um, but, you know, th- this opening scene for me was um, 11 minutes, but I actually didn't feel like it was 11 minutes. I thought it was pretty short. Uh, but when I look at it, now it's it runs for about 11 minutes and 20 seconds so it's a pretty long film i uh, sorry long opening mm. but it's a really good opening they use all the 11 minutes really really well there's suspense there's surprise element there's um angst with our like scene leader or our, uh yeah um for tara's character mm. there's angst and there's panic and there's just she she really sells that scared and panic young teenager um and it's perfect because she also plays that 21st century teenager as well where a lot of things don't really scare a lot of young teenagers nowadays right like Mm. they're so desensitized with everything because of the exposure of the internet exposure of like Mm. social media um but there's a gradual build that eventually just hits the wall once she realizes that oh my gosh someone's actually coming to kill her so Mm. So the whole build-up of the scene was awesome, and then of course, once she supposedly dies, you know she she has that kind of last moment of survival where she's kind of crawling away, but he pulls her by the legs, um, lifts up his his uh, his knife, and then mm. stabs her, and then and then we we get the classic scream title um, revealed with the slash instead of like us actually seeing her getting stabbed. Mm. I was like, wow, this is uh, this is actually. A direct homage to the first one because scream scream three and four i don't think it had i don't think the opening scenes ended with a slash if i'm if i can remember correctly so the start of three was cotton weary and his girlfriend right y- yeah because you know, i think it was only scream one and two that um f- finished off the opening scene with the slash from the killer i think anyway it's a I think the opening is where uh, the first one, at least, is where they f- the parents find Drew Barrymore hanging by the tree. Yeah, and the last slash that he does like gets into the opening title. Right. Yeah. Oh wait, no, it doesn't. No, sorry, no, it doesn't. The opening title is actually right at the beginning of the film, like before the opening scene. It's got Dimension Films, which is one yep. of the produ- uh, producers or one of the production companies, and then and then it's followed by. A scream, or it's followed by a phone call, like a, the sound of a phone call, and mm. a scream, and then scream comes up in like really nineties uh, animation. <laughs> yeah, that's right at the beginning of yeah. So maybe it's scream two and three where it's the slashing from. Yeah. Hey, is anyway, it four have two killers as well? The chick and the dude with the long hair. Oh, maybe I can't remember. Yeah, we, okay, so for the listeners out there, we don't really count Scream 4 as part of the franchise. <laughs> <laughs> Scream 4 is uh, the weakest one out of all of them. Uh, um, 
and and this is exactly what's what this scream here talks about it talks about stab eight being a terror yeah, stab eight right it talks about <laughs> yeah. stab eight being a terrible uh sequel um which they're obviously referring to scream four not being as good because yeah. remember it's all it's all meta meta commentary yes all self-aware yeah. um and and then they do a good job by making this really really good. Um, so so that's the opening scene, and then after that we get into the our first introduction. The same way that we do with the first screen film, we get into our first introduction of all our main cast members. Um, our main cast members are oops, I lost my page. Our main cast members are Chad Meeks Martin, which is um, this is a spoiler. This is a spoiler as well. Obviously, we're in spoiler territory now. This is a spoiler. Chad Meeks is the uh, nephew. He's the nephew, right? The nephew of um, yes. What's his name? Randy. Thingy. Randy, Randy Meeks. Yes. Um, and also his sister Mindy Meeks is also the niece of uh, Randy. Randy Meeks. Uh, you know Randy from the very first scream and the second scream. He dies in the second scream, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also met with. His sister makes an appearance, and that's why we get introduced to her. That's right. In the second one, and then she reappears in Scream Five. Sorry, go on. Re- it's the first time that she reappears too. Yeah, yeah. Like, she, there was no need for her to be there. there no so need for, yeah. <laughs> and this is really cool. I mean, I, I think I, I love the fact that the uh, the creators of the Scream was uh, mindful enough to think about the cast members that had something to do with the story in the old screen films and brought them back, had a good reason to bring them back. Um, mm. And I think it's a spoiler as well for her being in this because she's not in the IMDb cast. She's not in the Rotten Tomatoes um, cast list. So I think it's supposed to be a spoiler. But even though, like, after watching the film, it's not really a spoiler that she's in the movie because there's nothing, like, spoilery about the fact that she's in it, you know, mm. um, other than the fact that she's in it <laughs> and she's the mother of, like, these two. Maybe um, because it was a part that was very small. I don't know. That's it know. is very strange that she's not listed. It's um, it's very weird. Um, um, but yeah, uh, the other characters is Amber Friedman, Wes Hicks, who is the son of the deputy, played by um, Marla Shelton, who plays Deputy Judah, Judy Hicks. But the other characters is also Richie Kirsch and uh, Liv McKenzie. That's in the scene. And this is the scene that plays out the same way as the first uh, screen where we meet all of them at the schoolyard. And instead of the dialogue being very 90s dialogue, now it's very 21st century dialogue. You know? <laughs> so they're making a lot of references to social media, a lot of references to like artists, like music artists and actors and, um, and all that type of stuff. What did you think of this introduction of our brand new cast members? Um, it was very, it reminded me of the, the scene where you had uh, Randy, Stu, Billy, uh, Sydney and what was uh, Rose Rose uh, what's her name M- Rose McGowan's character was it Tate? Oh Tate? Rose McGowan! Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. I can't remember her name. <laughs> I, I honestly can't remember <laughs> any other characters. There's so many characters is, there is so many in characters. this franchise, and like the only ones you remember are like the, our main cast members, right? Sydney Prescott, um, Gail Weathers, and Dewey. <laughs> That's yeah. the only ones that you always remember. Um. No, I thought it was a really good scene. It was very nostalgic to feel like they're all, you know, sitting around chatting, like, you know, back then they did what they did in the original screen. Um, did you have a character yeah. that you immediately knew you were going to like throughout the whole film and that you're looking forward to seeing them? I did like the twins, to be honest. Um, there was something, there's some sort of quality about them that's just very uh, easy to just 
you know, get to, their characters just played out really well. Um, more so Mindy, she just felt like she did have a kind of Randy kind of vibe. So it was just easy just to be nerding out with, you know, the things that she was saying. But uh, in that opening scene, yeah, because they're all like, because at that point, for those that I haven't seen the, the poster uh, for the movie, it, it basically says the killer is on this poster. And we know that from, uh, you know, being screen, know screen lovers, yeah. you're, like, you're, sus- you're trying to suspect who's this going to be. Mm. But at the same time, you're like, well, Tara or Tara, you know, didn't die. So is she in cohorts with the killer as well? You know, it could have just been a setup. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like uh, it was hard to say who whoever else it could have been. But um, mm. heck, it could have been even like for those that, you know, it could have been even the cops in the movie as well, like the, de- the new deputies and, and so forth. So it was hard to say. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure this this movie is the exact same poster as the first Scream film where it's the killers on the poster. Because all the other Scream, um, Scream movie posters don't have the killers on the poster. Hmm. Pretty cool, huh? Is I uh, made a little Easter egg for you. There you go. Because I, I was <laughs> thinking about that, and um, the first Scream didn't have... Yeah, you're right. They didn't yeah, have had Billy, Billy on it. Yeah, yeah. But then at the same time, there's a lot of now with the, the the thing of the internet. There's a lot of fan made stuff, so it's hard to tell what's real unless it's all oh, right. Just, just go on IMDb. IMDb will give you the right one. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. I don't know if you've seen on Screen Rant. There's a like, or, or they've released all these screen posters where everyone's holding ghost face masks. So it's kind of like we don't know who the killer is. <laughs> right, um, right. But it's interesting because uh, Mason Gooding is Cuba Gooding Jr.'s son. Mm. I don't know if you picked up on that, but um, oh no, I didn't actually. No. Yeah. So. Oh, do you I'm see it now? To, I'm, no, I'm trying to say I think I see it, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh no, can't see it. No. Um, so after this scene, we start to establish the story. The main plot of the film is us trying to figure out, or our cast members trying to figure out, who the killer is, right? Mm. And why is the killer? What what is what is the killer's motivation this time? Um, the our main cast members get rushed over to the hospital. They all go and see. Um, Tara in hospital and how she's all mangled and she's pretty beat up. By the way, like the the way that whoever was the makeup artist for this done a tremendous job with all the makeup. Like Tara looks awful. Like she looks bad. Like she yeah. looks like she's in bad shape and she looks like she's literally about to die. Which fair enough. She got she gets stabbed like I don't know. Was it five times or something? It was six times. Um, in the opening scene and she gets a broken leg. You know, <laughs> and she gets slashed like in in the left uh, side, like just under the left rib or something. Like, of course, she would look like death. And you know, kudos to the makeup team because they really sold the fact that she looked like death on this bed. Because um, she definitely doesn't look like the beautiful makeup young actress in the in the opening scene. Now she, I like for a moment, I was like, is this a different actress? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh no, they've just done a really good job with the makeup. The old bait and switch. <laughs> the old bait and switch, yeah. They fired the uh, the opening scene actor and got a new one. Um, so, yeah, we established a scene that, you know, she's been attacked by somebody. They're unsure on who that person is and, and, and trying to figure out what is the motivation behind the killer. And then only to see that our lead character, we find out who our lead character is in, in this scene for the rest of the film, which is Tara's sister, um, and her character name is uh, oh, I'm losing track of. That's it, a really right? good question. Uh, actually... Sam Sam Carpenter. That's her. That's right. 
that's our lead character. And we discover that she has a moment where she reacts to the whole killing thing. And we know that this is a plot point for her to figure out that there is a past that is catching up to her that she hasn't quite revealed yet. And we're not going to be revealed a little bit later. Mm. Um, so this is a really good um, uh, way to establish the story and how we're going to start moving forward with all these cast members. And during the scene, all the cast members are also now trying to point fingers and get into that whole suspect mode, like suspect victim mode, you know, who's, who did it and who could mm. it be? And they're trying to figure out what's really going on, which is a really, really cool foreshadowing until we actually get to the scene where they're sitting in the apartment in mm. um, the twins' apartment, not apartment, in twins' house, where they sit down, brainstorm, and start doing the finger-pointing of suspects. Mm. Mm. JC? Yeah. Sorry, I had a moment. Sorry, can you say the question again? Sorry. I was just thinking about <laughs> no, it wasn't a question. I just like kind of said that whole part of like establishing the story and um, how all the cast members uh, are going to figure out a way to start moving forward. Yeah, look, I something... I really love about the screen movies is that whole element of trying to work out who the killer is. And I think that a lot of movies um, these days don't have that kind of element unless you look at something like uh, Knives Out. And, it, you know, as from an audience perspective, it's really enjoyable. I don't know if, like, you ever played Cluedo growing up, but, like, just having that whole whodunit, you know, uh, has always been appealing to me just to try and work out. I had, just to get I had consoles growing up. I wasn't, I wasn't um, I don't know, a rabid... Uh... Poor Boys person. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, one thing that I think in this part, particular scene where they introduce Sam, like, they're implying that she's, you know, out somewhere away from her sister, but doesn't... Mm. I can't remember if they establish where that is and how far away it is. Because we don't know how far away it is, but we do realise, not in this scene, but there's another scene that, that follows maybe two scenes after this one, uh, where she explains why she's been away. Um, it's, it's when they have that conflicting dialogue between each other, the two sisters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. because clearly this was uh, the plot point for the killers to bait her back into the into town mm. for their master plan, which we'll get to later. But mm. um, I always found that strange. Like, okay, she's away. They're, they've established that they're now sisters, um, and now she's coming back to town. So where was she and i guess she was away for her reasons that were given but um mm. you know it's interesting to see like that the killer was uh actually well i guess we could talk about it one of the killers was with sam and you know they're trying to see if she's eating the bait so it's almost like it's a setup you know this is what's happened are you mm. gonna come back so yeah. i mean if sam didn't want to come back there would be no scream five <laughs> It's true. I mean, it could have been a different character as well. Mm. <laughs> but um, that was the only thing that I didn't really quite buy in this film. But I, I want to talk about this, that part later, because it's later <laughs> on in the reveal. Yeah. Um, the things that I don't quite buy about our, about one of the killers. Um, okay. But um, also in the scene, it's it establishes what our, one of our like killing grounds too. Okay. Um, and I, and I kind of I kind of predicted this was going to happen. Like because she's stuck in hospital, obviously the killer is going to come back at some point to try and make sure that she's dead. But we mm. also know that the killer intentionally didn't kill her, right? Mm. And and then at this point we have to start questioning why didn't the killer choose her? And you can start sort of piecing things together, but we don't find out later on in um, in the film that the reason why she didn't uh, the killer didn't kill Tara was to bait the sister. Mm. 
back to oh sorry not bait the sister bait Sydney Prescott out because because there's no need to bait the sister because the sister is in a relationship with one of the killers right yeah but remember as they reveal later on when they're discussing the rules of the the requel as they call it that mm. uh you know that she's now the the main star in this new movie mm. so I don't think. Nev, uh, sorry, Sydney was meant to be the main person in the story. It was meant to be Sam, and they they kind of established that. And I think they needed to make that clear for the audience mm. watching because it's like it's not about Sydney anymore; it's about Sam, right? So that's my, at least my interpretation. Um, because otherwise, they would have just targeted Sydney again. Mm. So, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Maybe it is connected. Yeah, um, but. That's that's definitely like one of the reasons why uh, the killer doesn't completely kill Tara is just to bait our characters out. Mm. Um, and then after the scene, we're we're taking into the bar, and we get to meet Kyle Gallner's character. And Kyle's Kyle Gallner's character, Kyle Gallner, Gallner, <laughs> such a weird. No, it's Gallner. Not weird. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> Kyle Gallner, <laughs> um, his character which is, what is his name? His name is Vince Schneider. Um, he comes as some kind of, he, he's supposed to be like a macho, staunch, bully type guy, but he's not like a classic bully because we don't really get much about him, but he's just a guy that has a love interest towards one of our characters. We meet him in the bar. He tries to staunch out Mason Gooding's character, Chad Meeks Martin. They get into a little bit of an altercation, Um he says, like, he, try, he sort of threatens him a little bit, sort of off-the-cuff threaten, and then he goes at the back and pisses at the back of the building, and his car turns on, and we, all, we know at this point this is probably going to be the killer's scene where he goes to kill this character. Um, and uh, as the scene plays out, like, he, he sort of gets baited into the car um, and then gets stabbed by, <laughs> by Ghostface. <laughs> With one so, stab, by the way. It's like one stab into the side of his neck. Um, and then that's the I, end of that character. <laughs> I, but see, I don't see the point of that scene, right? So from my understanding, they were trying to develop the characters, like our main suspects or, or group to mm. see, okay, these are all these people together. Who's not in this scene? And that's something as a screen watcher, I'll be like, who's currently in the scene? Who mm. isn't in the scene? And who's like being hidden from the camera? And it mm. makes you feel like, oh, maybe they're the killer. But I don't feel like Kyle... Gallner, Gallner? <laughs> not to struggle with this. Vince Snyder had really any weight in the story. He showed up in a couple of scenes and then was killed off quite quickly. I mean, it is a horror movie. They are killing people, but all he, we established that he was a previous sling of uh, was it Liv, and you know, then it was causing some tension and development with Chad Meeks Martin's character. Mm-hmm. But apart from that. It was almost like a wasteful kill. And I'm sure I'm not saying that there hasn't been other wasteful kills in previous Scream movies, but I just feel like this was a little bit of maybe a maybe subversion of expectations, maybe distraction. But I felt like that mm. scene did not hold a lot of weight. What about what about you? Oh, I agree. I mean, if we're talking about wasted characters, this guy mm. had no reason to be in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was a complete waste of time, a completely useless character, had nothing to do with the story, and and you're right. Like if if Ghostface makes a kill, it's usually to do with 
killing the main group of people yeah. uh, to do to get into the elimination process, right? Yeah. But this guy had nothing to do with the film at all. He wasn't even friends with him. He was a guy that just had a love interest, and the love interest wasn't even established. It wasn't developed at all. Mm. Um, we don't know his background. We know nothing about him. He he shows up, says two lines, and bounces at the back, takes a piss on the wall, and then just dies by one stab. <laughs> so. I think I think there is a point where he becomes a talking point because Ghostface Killer has now killed another person. We have our second we have our second victim um, who is actually dead now. Um, and then it's, it's not until Ghostface kills two people and wounds one person, so three mm. victims while two are dead. Um, that's the that's sort of the body count that is used as a de- plot device to send in characters like Sidney Prescott and mm. uh, Gail Weathers, right? But um, yeah. but there was no need to have this guy. Like he was useless. Like what, he took up screen time for no real reason. Um, we could have actually filled that screen time screen time with better character development by maybe some mm. of the other characters. Mm. Um, like I think it was if if there was one positive thing you could take away from him being in this movie is that we get to see Mason Gooding's character as the kind of protector of the group. You know, mm. you know, he's the guy that is going to make sure that the whole group, the group of friends mm. is um, going to be well protected, especially under these circumstances. Like he's the guy that will have everybody's back. You know, you always want him on the team. So it, it establishes that. But I don't know. It could have been done with a character that didn't have to have like a huge title card. Like Kyle Garner's like he's not a famous character, but he'd be expensive. Like you could have just got some yeah. random person in a bar um, that establishes Chad Meeks's protective nature. Mm. Not, not someone that has lots of credits, like uh, title credits behind him, you know, like yeah. he's, he plays flash in like the CW series. Do you feel like they intentionally put a throwaway character in there just so that they didn't kill off the main cast too quickly? Maybe, but there's there's a lot of cast members in this. I mean, I, I don't yeah. think you you have. You, I don't think you'll be you're, you'll be at a point where you're running out of ammunition. Like, there's mm. a lot of the cast members, and also, you know, we have our original cast members in this as well. So, if we're mm. trying to fill screen time, there's definitely better ways to do that. I just think the writers in this particular choice got it wrong. Mm. Mm. Something, something. Uh, no, we'll get to that later. I was just going to talk about Sydney and how she gets reintroduced into this particular um, entry of the series. But um, yeah, so I, I just feel like that character, Vince Schneider, was wasted. But maybe it was intentionally in there just to to distract us, mm-hmm. which can be fine. But like you said, I think I would have preferred more character development with the, the people who are now on screen. Um, or even some of our original characters and what's been happening with them. Because you know what? There's not really much about Sydney in in this one. It's almost no. like, oh, you know what? You know what it feels like? And I think they reference this in a couple of interviews, but it feels like they were just bringing on original cast members for the sake of it. Like, you know, when you had um, the sequels to Star Wars, you kind of just had Han come back. And then, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know. It kind of felt like they were just killing off people for no reason. But, you know. I feel oh, like yeah. maybe Dewey's character kind of went out with a bang for a reason. Like he oh, yeah. he did what he did, and you know, <laughs> and and I don't know. Are we up to that yet? He had, he had a good dis- No, we're not up to that yet. Okay. Um, we're, we're gonna we're gonna run through some of these scenes pretty quick. Um, these next scenes establish our main characters arcs a bit more. We get a mm-hmm. reveal of their past a little bit more. We're back at the hospital. 
uh, with uh, not 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 Tara, Tara Lara, with Tara's sister um, Sam. Sam. Um, she gets a phone call from Ghostface, and it's the same kind of phone call that we expect. And we know how these conversations go, and we know how the conversations end up. And there's a fun little chase sequence for for our main character, um, where Ghostface Killer starts to. Like he just entered, he doesn't even enter. I think he's been hiding in this like um, cafeteria place the whole time. And I always wonder, I always wonder in screen movies, you know, when, when the killer is so close by, how can you not hear him talking on the phone? Like that's exactly (laughs) what I was thinking. If he's behind a door and you're in the same room, you should be able to hear them. (laughs) Hey, but, but you know what? This is the, the suspense of disbelief that we always have to have with these movies. But like I said at the beginning of the cast, this, the suspense of disbelief bar seems like we have to rise it up a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> rise it up or lower it? Lower? Uh, anyway, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, we, we yeah. have to have more of suspense of disbelief. And so the fact that, like, she's in this room. This room's not large either. This room's, like, 100 square meters or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it's, like, it's, it's a boxy room, you know? So there's no dividers or anything. It's one mm-hmm. large room. And he's literally behind the door. And then I can't remember the line he actually says. But he, but he pushes the door and then goes to stab um, our main character. And then they have this commotion going on in the room and she's throwing chairs and stuff. And it's kind of the typical uh, scream stuff, which which I love. I, I really find it entertaining, you know, where mm. you're throwing inanimate objects that kind of like have no weight to it. You're throwing it at the character, uh, mm. at, the, at the killer, and the killer's like stumbling all over, you know, and you're like, really? You just stumbled over a paperclip that, he, that they threw. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And so she picks up like, one of the plastic chairs throws it at him and, and he, he kind of falls over as if it's like a wrecking ball or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's something that, that, that bothered me a little bit about this movie um, being that, and, and, and this has happened in the previous, some of the previous um, entries is that when you had a, a killer of smaller stature um, standing in the ghost face outfit, they, they appear to be tall and menacing but mm-hmm. when you find out the reveal for a lot of them, they're tiny. And it's just like, well, that doesn't match up with some of the scenes. But so, I think this is why it works to have two killers. Yeah, yeah. Um, but because cause at, at, at any point of the film, we don't know who's doing the killing or what. But but I, I, get, I get what you're saying is that most of the time we see the killer, it's always a tall person. So yeah. what did the other killer do? <laughs> did the other killer just do all the talking, I guess? Like, you know, you can only really assume that they did all the talking which it could happen that could fly mm. like mm. um but then this whole scene kind of kind of crashes pretty quick and then and then Sam walks into the room where Tara is and this is this is their moment of um them coming into reconciliation as sisters because you know at this point the sisters are not on the same page they're very disconnected she's been away from her sister for so long it's kind of like the um the runaway uh sibling story you know, and then they come back for some kind of retribution. And in this case, it's, it's a killer going after her sister. And then this is our big exposition dump of her reason why she's been away. And um, I think what I really like about this scene here is uh, not so much Sam's performance, but Tara's performance is unreal. Like mm. this chick, she has she has a future in acting, man. Like she was so believable. The emotion that she carried behind her lines, the um, even the tears that were mm. <laughs> were trembling, you know, the delivery, the tone of her voice, mm. awesome, awesome, yeah. awesome performance. I mean, like Sam was great as well, and I think she holds her herself well. But 
You know, these guys were having like an acting battle, like in this very, very scene. No, it was, it was <laughs> very know? good. It's a very good exchange. Yeah, a really good exchange. And it's like these guys were, you know, in some kind of like step up battle, but for acting, you know, because <laughs> they, they were really going at it at each other, you know, and yeah. they were both really believable, both really good performance performances. But I'd say in this particular scene, Tara took it away from me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I agree. Like, I, I felt like for her, for someone who is quite young she was her emotional range was very much on display and mm-hmm. the, you know there was a big up to that i found i found tara's character um sorry tara as a character uh definitely displayed a lot more than sam and you know mm-hmm. for me i feel like she stole the movie more so than than sam sam did great in some in scenes but i feel like tara had much more depth to her character yeah it's um it, and it's it's a huge testament to her acting ability because she spends the entire film um disabled Mm. right (laughs) she literally spends her entire film disabled (laughs) and there's only so much you can do as an actor when you're disabled and you're Mm. when you're limited to a wheelchair you know Mm. and and she she can't even use the wheelchair properly you know remember the scene later Mm. on where she's getting attacked um she can't even use it properly and and her whole ability to sell that performance was just aced man she's like she should just get an oscar nomination literally for this <laughs> I, I will say that like you know i as much as i love horror movies i hate uh i see pe- i hate seeing people in pain like i feel that when i feel like someone's getting not necessarily cut or stabbed but like mm-hmm. uh when she was struggling to push the wheelchair because she had that cut in her in her hand like mm-hmm. i felt that i'm like oh man like Oh, dude, I felt that too. I think it was yeah. so perfectly directed, that those scenes. Yeah, that was... Uh, like, very intense. Like, every time she went to press on the wheelchair, right, when she's moving, mm. it's... Oh, I was, it was very, very gut-wrenching. Um, yeah. yeah. Perfect way of, like, really good attention to detail from the directors, you know, really mm. good attention, because they always brought it back to her. Every time she went to wheel, the camera would cut back to... Um, cut back to her her hand like a close-up of her hand moving the chair and then it'll do another wide shot of her moving and then go back to that close-up shot amazing amazing work from the camera team and the director because like it's not like i'm sure at this point she's been taught how to use um the wheelchair or anything like that with a broken she had a broken leg and then she had a stab in her hand and she had the stab in her rib so like (laughs) the fact that she even got into the chair was was amazing by herself yeah Uh, it's like everything possible that could everything possibly bad that could happen to her happened to mm. her and she's now bound to a wheelchair and she's expected to like pull it off um so after that whole scene you know we get our first introduction to dewey dewey's back on screen we see him in the trailer he's he's kind of like down and out hitting the bottle really hard um hasn't showered in weeks um he, he reminds you of a character but i can't remember which one it is but mm. <laughs> from a movie but you know we meet dewey as a very depressed stressed um divorce divorcee um, and halfway to retirement, or well, not halfway, like a few steps to retirement. Um, and he's just, he's he's not in a good space. And our main characters go to Dewey because they need to now look for answers mm. and look for some advice on how to combat the Ghostface killer. And, of course, what better way to do that by going to the original cast who are still alive. Mm. What do you think about Dewey? I think you know he he's feel he uh, lovely that they said it again. I feel like his character has really grown. I felt like 
you know, when he was first introduced, you know, he's that typical uh, small town deputy who doesn't know uh, chalk from cheese. And, you know, you see that he's definitely... Who would, like, lose in every Connect Four battle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he seemed like he was slow, but, you know, he had this... He has this charm about him. And as a character, uh, when you watch some of these series where they have these small town deputies, he's not someone who's trying to be this... um, this hero, he's just trying to be himself and do the right thing. And it's just that charm that he has that makes his character really likable. Um, but in this particular entry, like you feel like he's definitely more mature because uh, mm. he was now, he's now sheriff, right? So, mm. um, well, he was sheriff in, in four as well. Four, right. Mm. And then he, he's been asked, uh, he's been asked to step down. So yeah. he's now, I guess, retired and living retired, in that trailer. Yeah. So, um, and, and then him being divorced from Gail, it's a little bit sad, but, you know, he still found that, um, you know, seeing Gail on TV was his kind of highlight to his day. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Dewey in this episode? Yeah. Um, I actually, this is probably the Dewey that I love the most out of the entire franchise. Mm. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of Dewey from the first one. Mm. wasn't a huge fan of his character in the second. And then in the third, I liked him more. Okay. But I, but he still wasn't a standout character for me. Um, I think he, just his goofiness. Yeah, I just didn't yeah. buy it at all. Like his goofiness in the first one, I was like, really? Why would you write a character like this? This is so clumsy. Like, right. All the other characters are quite sharp. Um, some of them, yes, clumsy and ditzy. Like you know, some of the like blonde chick characters are, are not very good in the early screen films. Mm. But. Most of the cast members are really good and believable. I could buy into their characters. Whereas for right. Dewey, I was like, what's the deal with this character? Why would you write a deputy that's goofy? I don't understand the reason behind it. Like, there isn't, like, there's no explanation why he's so goofy. Um, there's just, you just have to accept that he's a goofy dude. And yeah, I mean, that's okay. But like, it, it didn't do much for me in terms of his character arc. Uh, but I do like what he does in Scream 3. I think in Scream 3, he's he's given a lot more to do. You mm. know, remember, like, him being a part of the investigations from the first Scream film all the way up to Scream 3, or I mm. guess in, even Scream 4, um, he's given way more to do as an investigator, whereas the previous one, he wasn't really investigating. Like, he was kind of doing his job, but he was yeah. just too dumb at doing his job. So yeah. most of the investigation answers came from Gale. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, which is a good way for them to connect and to bond, you know, and I believe their relationship eventually. Like, it was pretty quick, their relationship mm. in the first one. But I believe it throughout the entire franchise because the chemistry just gets better with them. But yeah. in this one, man, like, this is the best Dewey because I think it's going back to what you're saying is that this is the most mature version of Dewey that we've ever got. And so he's not that clumsy character that we saw previously. Now he knows exactly how the game works. He knows the rules of the game. He knows what you're supposed to do, what you're not, what not, what not, <laughs> what you're supposed to not be doing, mm. um, and you know he's a seasoned veteran. So mm. I really love him in this movie, and his, our introduction here was pretty sad to see. It's pretty sad to see that he's now in the pit of despair of losing his relationship with Gail Withers, and his way of coping is by watching her every single morning. He has the same routine, mm. has his cup of coffee. Um, I wonder if he spills his cup of coffee every morning because, <laughs> you know, he spills it in this scene when he gets like a little bit of a fright from uh, the door knocking. Maybe that's a, a that's a nod at his clumsiness. 
Yeah. But I think the directors went out of their way to make sure that he wasn't that goofy character because yeah. it's definitely not the same Dewey that we have in the previous one. So I really like him in this. I, yeah, I, I, to, just to add to that, I agree. Like, I think they wrote that little thing in just to show that he is still the same Dewey. Like, it's not a completely different character, even though he's older, but he he is wiser. Mm. And in comparison to the previous, I want to say, uh, law enforcement or police officers involved in the Scream movies, they might have been hard to relate with from an audience perspective because if you remember in Scream 2... Two? Yeah, when they are, uh, when Sydney has these uh, agents around her the whole time, they're protecting her and, and watching her and in the library with her. And there's just these like uh, stone faced kind of agents like that just react and respond. Mm. Um, and then you get in Scream 4, you've got, uh, I've got the character, uh, the actor's names with the comedian guy, and he gets killed off pretty quick. So you, mm. you see these, these, these positions. Uh, these positions of authority, they don't last long in these movies. They mm. generally get killed off because they would be the saviors at the end of the day. Mm. Um, the only other character that they really wrote in was the sheriff and uh, mm. Mark Kincaid, which I think they allude to when they're talking about Sydney and with the kids. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. A lot of the cops do die pretty quick. Mm. Um, and the deputy that is in this film, is supposed to be taking over Dewey's role, but she dies yes. pretty much in the beginning. <laughs> yes. So that's another subvert of expectation that was yeah, very, very surprising. I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. Um, after the scene, it's the scene is sort of tapered off by Dewey making a phone call to Sydney Prescott. And his phone call was basically to say, stay away from Woodsboro. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. she, res- she responds by saying, well, there's a, there's there's a reason why I left that place. I'd never go back. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, remember, in Scream Four, she goes back to uh, Woodsboro to yeah, sell her book, book tour. Yeah, book yeah, tour, yeah. She goes back, and now obviously she doesn't want to go back there. It's been so long. Why would she go back? Um, and I like the way the scene is done. It's very short, but mm. it's it's also very insightful for how our writers are trying to present the story. You know. The writers were, were clever enough to make this scene so that we we get like a nice little introduction to Sydney Prescott and Dewey, the characters that we've all loved in the entire franchise. But then basically say we're going to put this in the corner and we're not going to revisit we're not going to revisit it um, in a time that you expect it. And yeah. I was like, wow, this is very clever. So I love that we kind of just brush through this scene, um, and then um, we get to moments. This is actually one of the biggest pieces of the film when they're sitting in the house of the twins they sit down and they have a moment to figure out how do we take this killer out Mm. um and this moment is very reminiscent of the first film where they're all trying to figure out who are the suspects who are the victims um but the, the the biggest and most uh what should i say the biggest and most valuable piece of the scene is how our meta character, what's her name? Mindy Meeks Martin, how mm. she's the one that explains the rules mm. of Scream, basically. And mm. she, she, she explains meta commentary and how it's worked in the franchise and how it hasn't worked in the franchise and what are the new rules to expect now. I mean, her character here, this is like her shining moment to show us that she's going to live up to the same standards that Randy Meeks was. Mm-hmm. But and have her own spin on it, which is great. Because the thing that I got about her character is that she wasn't overshadowing 
Randy, Randy Meeks or Randy Meeks wasn't overshadowing her. She mm. just had a different version of it, but she's also replacing that key figure, which is like the, the commentator on meta commentary throughout all the horror films and the mm. horror film genre. So this scene for me was one of the best scenes in the film. What so you if you think? look at it from a, a timeline perspective, right? So these new cast, what are they in their high school, right? Mm-hmm. So they technically would have been alive at Scream 4. Because if mm. it's an 11-year difference, there would have been maybe, let's say they're 18. Um, there would have been... Uh, let's on, say they're like, like 16 to 18. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, you know, they would have still been alive uh, at the time of Scream 4 events. Or they would have at least heard about it. So, from Yeah, they would have been 8 years old or whatever. You know, it would have been their parents that were involved um, with the killings and stuff like that of Woodsboro. Mm. Yeah. So it's just good for them to, it's good for the audience to understand that, like, you know, they know so much about this because they were alive when the previous injuries happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure the Sydney, uh, the, 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 the community would have spoken about these, um, these events because it's such a small town, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's not a big, big town like LA or something like that. Exactly. But yeah. I feel like a story like stab or whatever it is, you know, would be, Oh, I mean, the, the the Sydney Prescott story would be still huge in a city like LA. Like, everybody would know about it, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, And especially for the 21st century, you know, information travels instantaneously. Mm. So for the, for this character, um, Meeks, uh, I keep forgetting her name, Mindy, Mindy Meeks. Mindy. Mindy and Randy, what the hell? <laughs> Mindy, Randy, and then Mason. So. And then Mason, yeah. Um, no, no, Chad, Chad, Chad Meeks. Chad, sorry. Mason's his real name. What a Chad. <laughs> he's a Chad. He's actually he's a, Chad. a Chad. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a real Chad. Uh, so Mandy Meeks establishes herself as like the film nerd of the group. Um, and the way she explained the meta commentary was really surprising. And I think that was one of the best um, monologues for any of the characters, mm. which is which is not surprising, I suppose. You know, I think Randy Meeks has, has some of the best monologues as well in the Scream franchise because he's the film nerd. He's supposed to be, he or she now, Mindy, is supposed to be the one that explains to the audience how this whole thing works um, while we see them reenact scenes of films that are films of the real-life scenarios. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's done so well. It, it sounds confusing, but I think the, what the movie does so well is that it explains it in the simplest way while demonstrating how the meta-commentary works. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, it sounds confusing, but it's not really confusing. Mm. This was my favorite scene. I think yeah. it's uh, definitely one of the best scenes out of all of them. But I do like the finale. I think the finale is really damn good as well. Mm. But this one, this scene for me, just in terms of writing and character development, it's my favorite. Mm. No, it definitely was a highlight for me because I always enjoy when they talk about the rules and, you know, how they approach it. So, you know, that and uh, when they have that film class in Scream 2 where they're talking about the sequels and, uh, you know, you have all those cameos, or not cameos, mm. you had like Sarah Michelle Geller, 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 and S- Joshua Jackson. SMG. SMG. And, uh, mm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that scene is actually one of my favorite scenes in Scream 2. And probably one of my favorite scheme, uh, scenes in the franchise. Mm. Um, when they get to talk about how meta commentary works. Um, yeah. it's, it's really, really well written scenes. And, and that credit goes to Kevin Williamson, I guess, as well. But the writers mm. in this done a great job with their own version in the house sequence. 
it, it's interesting because they always have like the address. They address what it, what is actually happening. So like, okay, the, the the rules of a horror movie, the rules of a sequel, the rules of you know a trilogy. Mm. Uh, what was for? Was it? It was like because they were talking about, and they're in the classroom and they're talking about the rules again. And said so like, oh, was it? Um, I can't you remember. Have to be, you have to be gay or something like to survive. <laughs> and that's you had this this eye, raised eyebrow from Hayden Panettiere, this character. Um, uh. Uh, but yeah, and then they had they called this. The oh, wait, I think I remember that. Scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, what the? Yeah. So uh, and they had this you know the rules of the requel and uh, yeah, it's just uh, it, I always enjoy these kinds of things because it makes you think about all the other movies that you've seen and you're like. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, I love I love the fact that this is where she coined the term requel. Okay, mm. so and she explains what a requel is, and a requel is when you redo when you redo the original film, which is Scream, but in the, but for them it's Stab. Um, yeah. yeah, the first Stab. It it's a sequel of no, sorry, it's a reboot of that, but it's a sequel of sequel. that reboot. Yes, you know, so they're redoing it, but also making a sequel of it but not calling it a sequel so, so that's why it's called a requel <laughs> yeah so then technically you know ghostbusters afterlife would fall under that as well i think because... yeah i think ghostbusters does fall under the recall thing i haven't seen it yet but i i do hear good things about it but it probably does fall under that recall category okay. well when once you watch it we'll cast about it <laughs> oh yeah well, is it good yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. But we're, we're here to talk about Scream. Okay, so. yeah, let's, let's not get sidetracked. <laughs> um, okay, so, so after that, we we get into the next the next really big kill scene. Um, we, we go back to the hospital. We The hospital scene tends to be like uh, a homing device, I think, for kills and stuff, or especially for how we're going to um, perpetuate some of these characters and where they go from here. Mm. And we go back to the hospital scene, and Tara is like um, all alone. And this is kind of another uh, area of can't really buy into this slash like it's it's a we're supposed to <laughs> raise our um, level of suspense of disbelief, but you know this hospital all of a sudden has no one working in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like like there's there's no reason why there's no one in the hospital, but you know we're we're, we're creating the foreground for our killer to perform his most one of his most deadliest attacks in the film. Um, and this is when we're back at that wheelchair um, thing that we we're talking about before, where she has the stab in her hand and it's, it's still a fresh wound. And she's trying to like wheel herself out into the hallway and she's struggling big time. And you feel the pain every time she's wheeling it. And she, mm. and she's, she's vocal about everything. <laughs> every time she's moving mm. um, the wheelchair, it's freaking amazing performance by her. Um, so she's out in the hallway. And then this whole scene is a showdown between Dewey her, her sister, the sister's boyfriend, um, and the killer. Um, I can't remember what the sister's boyfriend's name is. Uh, the sister's boyfriend's name I can remember is... the actor's name. But... Yeah, Jack Quaid, because I think everybody remembers him from... Um, <laughs> what's his, what's that TV series he's a part of? Uh, Richie. Richie. Richie, there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Richie Kirsch. It's funny how they put last names for main characters where the last names mean nothing at all. <laughs> Uh, other than like the last names only mean something if it's written into the character in the story like sydney prescott we need to know that her last name is prescott because her mother um yes is also prescott um otherwise like the other cast members we don't really need to know that your last name is freeman or hicks or kirsch or carpenter <laughs> i thought mm. i thought our main cast members sam and tara carpenter will have some cool stories behind their last name 
But maybe it's it's no. it's it's world building because you now see you know Wes Hicks and the deputy. You've got the Meeks Martins. You've got it's true. Um, it could yeah. it could lead on to other characters to say that we're related to so and so and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. But there's never an explanation of one who Sydney ends up with because they they do reference Mark, and I'm assuming that's Mark Kincaid, but it's never mm. said. And then you've got um, oh, there was another point <laughs> which I've forgotten. Um, and like how who Sam and Tara's mother is, all we know that it, that they are Billy. Are we up to that part? No. Oh, um, yes, yeah, Sam and Tara's dad. Uh, dad, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Billy. So, what's his last name? Loomis. Loomis. Yeah. Billy Loomis. I might name my dog Billy Loomis. What's <laughs> <laughs> called Ghostface Killer? Nah, Billy yeah. Loomis is better. <laughs> Um, yeah, so in this whole scene, you know, it's a big showdown between all those characters, and this is when we see the big, big, uh, gratuitous and glorifying death and send off to Dewey. Mm. It's such a great death scene for him. It's actually very, very good. It's very sad, mm. and we, we don't get the emotion behind the scene or the weight of the emotion behind the scene until we see Gail Weathers, um, who shows up on the crime scene. And sees that it's it's Dewey that's been um, taken away in a body bag, and mm. she's like the perfect character to really send that emotion behind um, him dying as a character. She's the perfect mm. character to do that. Mm. Um, yeah, so that death scene was really awesome, really good, and I love his the the line that Ghostface Killer says. He says it's been an honor, and then he just mm. like, what what is that? Uh, mm. Like some kind of, <laughs> yeah. What would you call that? I I don't know. That's a very a samurai kill slice it. kill. <laughs> but you know, like the samurai is usually across the stomach, right? But this is like, this yeah. is like, this is no like coming back kind of kill. There was yeah. definitely no coming back from that. That's, that's super damn gruesome, man. I can't believe like how yeah. how much they went into the kills in here. But it, but I guess the directors really wanted the audience to experience that to make sure that the kills were going to be really violent. Final, yeah. Because you know the the kills in the previous school, uh, scream films, like they're violent, but they're not like crazy violent. Like yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of the stabs we see are a little bit off camera. You know, they're sort mm. of like on the POV, or they might be. Um, directly and extremely close up to the killer itself or whatever, but we don't really get um, super violent wide shots. Like, this mm. is the first time that we've seen really wide shots and very detailed killings. Yeah. yeah. So we, so we lose that character, and Gail Withers is here to um, sort of sit in her uh, emotion and, and her grief, and we see the loss that she goes through. Um, she has a bit of a moment with Sam as well. And Sam sort of delivers her grievances for Gail Weathers. And then after that, we're met with Sydney Prescott, who shows up to Woodsboro after mm-hmm. 11 years. And she's here to just pay her respects about Dewey. Um, this is the other thing. This is the other uh, thing about this moment is that, like, although it's, like, amazing to see Gail Weathers and also Sydney Prescott in the scene, but I'm like, how did Sydney find out so quick? <laughs> like, that Dewey, oh, I guess social media, because, you know, it's the 21st century. I guess, like, you should receive that information super quick. But I doubt, like, it'll be Dewey's name that will be publicized to... No, you know? I mean, yeah, I'm sure Gail maybe have con- would have contacted her. No, because no, because cause in the scene, Gail's, like, very surprised to see Sydney, And then Sydney responds by saying, I came as soon as I heard. I was like, what? 
didn't maybe they just... she maybe she was keeping an eye on things. I mean, you know, maybe. you have stuff like Google Alerts highlight you. What's but you kind of you kind of just like, you don't think too much about that reason, you know. You just go, oh yeah, yeah, cool. You know, Sydney's back on the scene, and she's back here to just share her condolences and her grievances, and then mm. and then this is when the movie starts to pick up a lot of pace and a lot of momentum because mm. Sydney is now sort of back to her her usual self. Um, she's put on that that classic Sydney Prescott helmet, and she's she says, "Hey, um, I'm going to help you with this because mm. you know I've been through it myself. I'm an expert, by the way. I've survived every single time." <laughs> mm. um, uh, but then, like you know, as she's giving this advice to Sam, Sam actually rejects the advice that she gives her. Um, Which is and Sam, interesting because they they go to Dewey for advice, right? And they and he nails it. Yeah, but they somewhat. Deny Sam for some reason, uh, Sydney for some reason. They deny Sydney, but I think yeah. her, the reason why she denies Sydney is because because she wants to now just leave the town. You know, the reason why you guys went through this whole franchise and almost died is because you never left Woodsboro. But mm. now I'm going to leave Woodsboro with my sister. I'm not going to mm. do the stupid thing by staying in Woodsboro. But then you know, Sydney's trying to say that you know it doesn't matter if you move, the mm. killer is going to find you. The killer is going to mm. like follow you anywhere you go. And then I love how the scene finishes by by her saying, um, "Like, look, like I, I don't want to be a part of like your your past lives or whatever because you know what you guys did with your lives and the stupid decisions that you made is whatever. And I'm just going to make the decision now to leave the town." And then Sydney just says, "Good luck." And it's actually like a funny way. <laughs> But that's that's <laughs> realistic, right? Because if, <laughs> because if someone someone gave you advice and then you ignore it, they'd be like, "Okay, we'll see you later." Like you know, <laughs> nobody's listen. But it was the way it was actually really good directing here in this particular scene because Sydney says, "Good luck," but not in like uh, not in like a mockery way, right? Mm. She said it in like a genuine, but also you're going to die type way. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, mm. like Sydney does it, you know, uh, Niv Campbell just delivers that line perfectly. And and there's like, there's like a bit of a silent beat to that moment. Mm. Like she says, good luck. And then there's an awkward silence. And then she gets in the car. <laughs> yeah. And that, that really goes to show her character development as well, because she started out this, as this like really timid, like, um, kind of like girl next door type. And then obviously mm. throughout the franchise, she's been through a lot of shit. Mm. Um, you know, you know, you have uh, your, 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 your boyfriend trying to kill you, kill you and then boyfriend's mother trying to kill you. And then you've got your brother trying to kill you, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I would imagine like all of this is somewhat taken a toll and she's gone through some development and, you know, now it's almost like, They've definitely done her a great service by making her kind of like the the series series or veteran expert on on the on the killings and what rules to play by. But mm. um, I find that that's somewhat a parallel in in some in some instances of society where you know we as elders uh, know about things, but the youth are quite often to not listen. Mm. So yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we get back to this um to the house where um Randy Meeks um his his old house. You know, we're back at that old house. And I mean there are a couple of like uh, kill scenes that happen here. The first kill scene here that we see is is the brother of the twin, um Mason Gooding's character. Um uh no. Chad Meeks. <laughs> hang on, hang on. Isn't this Stu's house? Stu's house, sorry. Yeah. 
Sorry, Stu's house. Yeah, not Randy's house. Yeah, Randy's house is not there. <laughs> anyway, Stu's, <laughs> Stu's house. <clears throat> They're having a party. Um, it's kind of like the very familiar party that we've seen in other screen films. And this is when uh, his character also dies. Um, not a crazy gruesome death, but it's it's a pretty cool death scene. But it's also not the best death scene, or not one of the best death scenes in this um in this movie particularly. But um, um, he dies pretty early, and his death scene is pretty quick, I'd say. And and then the story sort of starts to pick up a bit more momentum as well when. Uh, Sydney Prescott and Nev, uh, Nev Campbell, <laughs> Sydney Prescott and Gail Weathers decide that they're going to go on a mission to follow our main cast because she puts a tracker on their mm. car. <laughs> so she, they're following them just because they know what's going to happen to them, what their inevitable death would be. Mm. Um, and they obviously don't want to make, they, they want to make sure that the cast members don't die. Um, so they go back to the house. Um, and the reason why they go back to the house is because they need to get the inhaler. And as soon as like, the uh, Tara mentioned that I need to get my inhaler like I left it in the hospital uh, and I need my inhaler, you know, because she's an asthmatic and of course she mm. needs an inhaler. But as soon as she mentioned that, I was like, all right, this is a plot device. This is, this is clearly a trap. There's a reason why the this inhaler or this scene is is talking so much about the inhaler, you know. Mm. <laughs> um, this, there's going to be a reason why they go back to the house. Mm. And then we, we find out that reason is because this is, this is going to be the showdown and the re- big reveal of who the killers are going to be. Mm, typical act three of scream so typical act three and i actually i i love i love how we we get the first reveal of our one of our killers you know do you remember how that first reveal happens they're, oh, they're in the, the... yeah they're in the yeah. they're in the living room um stab seven or whatever is on in the background is it stab mm. seven or stab eight Oh, I think it's like Stab 8, yeah. Stab 8's on in the background, and um, what's her face? Uh, Mindy Meeks is lying down on the couch, and she's reenacting pretty much the same scene that Randy Meeks also died to as well. Oh, wait, not mm. almost. No, he almost died. He actually didn't die in that scene. You know, in the second, in the first screen film? Yeah, where he's yeah, he's lying yeah. on the couch. Couch and, and he's drunk, yeah. And he's drunk, and he's 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 kind of commenting on on the the cast members on stab and saying mm. you shouldn't um you, you, you the killer's behind you or the killer's behind you and then in yeah. real time the killer's behind him while we're also watching the same thing that's happening <laughs> in so that her. living room while she's watching that same scene on stab eight yeah. and and so that whole scene is, is definitely a reenactment of the original scream and then um it actually turns out to be a longer scene and a different type of scene where four of them enter the room and they're all now suspecting who is the killer, who's the killer, who's the killer. Mm. And then, and then one of our characters say to, I think it's, um, yeah, to Melissa, to Sam Carpenter, is it Sam Carpenter or Tara? I think it's Sam actually. She says to Sam, like, why did you kill her? Why did you kill her? As in like, why did you kill Mindy? You know, she accuses Mindy she accuses Sam for killing Mindy because M- Mindy's like sort of, she seems like she's dead, but she actually doesn't turn out to be dead. Mm. Um, and she's like lying in the background and there's a lot of accusations jumping in the room and all the other characters jump in that same room, like Liv and uh, Tara. And so also Amber as well. She's Amber. The one making all the ac- accusations and everybody's like, like, you know, just 
very, very stressed out. It's a very tense scene. And then it completely slows down as soon as Amber says, welcome to Act 3. And then that's when she shoots mm. uh, Liv. I was like, wow, I mm. love it. I love how... I love how we, we go through in the entire film and we get to act three and then there's a, uh obvious staple where the characters mention that this is act three. Mm. Um, it's actually a little bit of a missed opportunity too. Maybe like the act, the fact that she said, welcome to act three, it would have been really cool. And if somehow, I mean, I don't know how this would really play out, but somehow the characters mentioned that we're in act one and act two mm. and then welcome to act three. Cause you know, the whole thing is meta commentary. So, you know, mm. why not, tell us that it's act two and act one or whatever. It, it probably would have been cool. You probably could have done that as Ghostface Killer. Right, you know? right, right. Welcome to act two. And then he like kills like whoever. Mm. But it, it, might be, it might be too formulaic in that sense that people start seeing through it. It's just like, oh, okay, act two, we know what to expect. And act three, we know we know that the, the killer reveal is always early in act three because then we need to understand their motives. Mm. So... Well, was just, just, we miss a couple of points where, like, you have the the scenes where um, they still like Mindy's character addresses a few of the rules again. It's like, oh, you should ask me to go with you, or you know, um, oh, and the, the basement, would do. In the basement, the in basement, basement yeah, scenes, yeah, yeah. and yeah, that's always fun. But Chad doesn't die from memory; he's still alive because he gets stabbed in the leg. Oh well, actually, all the characters don't die though. The only character that dies live, and um, Wes, Wes Hicks, and Wes. Yeah, they're the yeah. only characters of of the new cast that dies. Everybody doesn't die. <laughs> so yeah. the first screen film where not everybody dies, which and is it's not just three people that survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is strange. It is very offbeat for a screen film. But I think I kind of like that because they earned the characters not dying. They earned the characters that did die as well. Mm. Um, so I don't think it's actually completely wasted. And also you kind of need to have some cast members for the next one. <laughs> mm. Um, um yeah, the reveal, yeah. the reveal was, um, interesting, um, yeah. for that first, for the, for Amber, Amber. Yeah. Amber's Amber, character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause, cause just before that reveal was the basement scene you were talking about. They go down the basement. Um, oh wait, no, is it just before that? Amber, Amber and Mindy go down, right? Yeah. Yeah. They go down and, um, and they're, they're explaining how the rules go, which is of another very meta point for us as viewers, because because we're as viewers, you'd naturally think the same. It's like, oh, don't go downstairs, mm. you know, because by yourself, because you, 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 this is like the perfect scenario where a killer's going to stab you, mm. and then that's the stuff that they're made aware of as they're going down the staircase. Because of course, Mindy is the right person to be doing that. She's the film nerd. She's the film geek, and mm. she explains more of the rules. and And I like that. And and it gets like a little bit tense it gets a little bit stressful well mm. I, I felt a little bit stressed in that scene because i'm like oh is this a moment where one of them's just going to stab each other and we're going to find mm. out who one of the killers is like mm. and so there's there's a lot of that sort of carrot dangling moment i'm like uh, and I'm, I'm getting a little bit stressed out but then but then that scene ends and no one dies so i was like but oh. that's then that, there's that <laughs> subversion of expectation there because then when um jack no what's his name not randy no Oh, the boyfriend, Richie, 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 Richie. Sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> too many characters. When when Mindy and, and Richie are then talking, and uh, he's like, "Oh, you know, you didn't ask me to go down," and you know, and then you go, "Okay, well, he's just going to go down. And he'll be fine because we've had that previous mm. scene." Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was. It's good that they reuse the same scenarios, but gave you different, ex- you know, different results. 
different yeah exactly different results and different experiences and it's mm. it, it it just plays into their whole um ability to subvert our expectations like they've done so damn well to surprise us with a lot of things mm. um and it was it was so well earned i loved it mm. the and, and so the other scenes um as we're getting into this like finale where all the reveals are happening you know so the first reveal is with amber um mm. And that was a huge surprise for me because I I just thought it wouldn't be somebody like Amber because um, we're not given an inch of a hint of her being one of the actors or one of the killers. So it was a huge surprise for me. Um, And Richie, like, I mean, I didn't suspect it was Richie, but you kind of do because you're like, oh, these guys are following in the same formula as Scream. So mm. it has to, it's usually the boyfriend, <laughs> mm. but there's way too many moments where it's a bait and switch scenario. We're like, nah, okay, I have to doubt this. I don't think it's actually the the, the brother, and maybe the writers are doing reverse psychology with us, like three times over. <laughs> you know, mm. make us think that it's the brother, but it's not a brother. Make us think it's it's the boyfriend, but it's not the boyfriend. But then at moments you do think it's the boyfriend, but then it doesn't. And I'm not actually revisited that thought process until we actually get to the finale here. Mm. I felt like I didn't suspect Amber straight away, but as the movie progressed, I started started to look at who wasn't on screen a lot. And I said, okay, well, Amber's not really getting a lot of screen time and you don't see her character really developed either. But that being said, you had Billy and you had Stu who were quite prominent. You had Roman who was quite prominent. Um, even, uh, what's her name? Mrs. Loomis, you know, Mrs. Was, Loomis, had, yeah. yeah, had a fair amount of screen time and, um, Tim- Timothy Oliphant's character, which I can't remember his name. Um, yeah, but you have all these like psycho psychosis behind these, these characters and you know, Amber kind of hit it really well. Um, you don't feel like it is her right at the beginning because you mm. feel like she's used the plot device like oh you know i'm right outside amber's window i can be there inside 15 15 seconds if i mean it could have been amber the whole time even though it could have just had her camera set up facing towards her but Maybe, um yeah. i think i think what surprised me was richie's reveal um i did i did suspect a couple of times and i'm just like he just he just didn't sit right like he was supportive and he was always there but it's I felt like that's, that's the case with all the boyfriends, though, right? But Jerry uh, but, O'Connell didn't come off that way. Um, right. I, I feel like his character was done really well, and I, I was actually quite sad that he died. I was like, oh, because he would have been a good character. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, uh, Richie. Yeah. Who does he end up stabbing? He stabs Sam, right? No, he stabs when the reveal. And the reveal um, is it in the basement. Not in the basement, no. But it's the basement. The basement is the last point in which I thought, oh, it has to be the boyfriend. But yeah. but then we subverted that expectation completely yeah. because because he's down in the basement and he's and he's like freaking out, um, and he's trying to tell her that you know I'm not I'm, I'm not the killer. Like you know like we're stuck down here together. And then they get out of the basement. I was like, oh, okay, so it's not it's not him then. Mm. <laughs> but the reveal doesn't actually come until later on when he's shot in the leg, you know, Sydney Prescott's like walking through the house, like pretending like she's 
one of the characters from Doom or something, you know, shooting every piece of wall. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, she's, yeah, she's like shooting right. every wall and every door. And I was like, what are you, like a Doom character or something? <laughs> and then she shoots um, uh, Richie in the leg, yes. opens the door, and he's like, and she's like, she says, like, put up your hands. Like, what are you doing and, in here? Yeah, what are you doing in here? He's like, He's like, oh, like I'm just hiding from you know murderous people, but you shoot me in the <laughs> leg, and and even at that point, I'm like, oh wow, he's definitely not the killer, because <laughs> mm. like he's trying to help, he's trying to help out, and she falls down the staircase because she gets into she gets interrupted by a Ghostface um, himself, or I should yes. say herself, <laughs> herself gets interrupted by by Ghostface, and then they fall over the balcony, not the balcony, but over like the the staircase ledge. Mm. Um, and then Sydney stands up, turns around, and gets shot. I think she gets shot. Does she get shot? She gets shot at some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. She gets. Uh... Oh, actually, and by the way, the first person that he stabs is his girlfriend, Sam. Yeah. So yeah, he does stab her. That's the reveal, yeah. right? That's yeah. It. Okay. Is that the reveal? Yeah, because I remember he stabs her. He stabs someone, and he—that's the reveal. And you're like, okay, oh, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. So he's like stumbling down the staircase because he's he's got a wound, a gunshot wound in his leg. Yes, um, and he he stumbles really really quickly. Um, Ghostface is trying to grab the the gun, the but gun. then Sam picks up the gun. Yeah, yeah, okay. that's right. Yeah. Sam picks up the gun, and then like she tries to protect. <laughs> she tries. Yeah, now I remember. She tries to protect um, her boyfriend, but then oh. but then he just stabs her straight away. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And that's how that whole scene plays out. And I'm like, oh my god, that's a great, great reveal. That's a great surprise reveal. And then that's no, hang on. So where's the scene? I think it's a bit before this, where um, where Gail and and, and Sydney arrive at the scene and they see Amber come out screaming. Oh, yeah. And then like, yeah. oh, what do you think? That's a pretty funny scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Trap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then and then Amber's like, oh fuck it. And then she like <laughs> shoots shoots Gail. <laughs> That's actually so well done. That scene. So and Gail then, gets injured the, in like most of the movies as well. She gets she gets stabbed and shot and pretty much all of them. Yeah, and it's funny how she gets shot here and you know she's like obviously like in her fifties or whatever it is. Mm. Um, but she's she's missing for a big chunk of this finale. She doesn't actually come back into this finale until they get to the kitchen. Yes. Yeah. Because it is a lot more in Sydney. That's right. Well, because she's mm. been shot, right? So then, yeah. yeah, she makes it to the kitchen. But that that this finale, this scene is is quite. Uh, wait, how does Richie die? I don't even remember now. That wasn't iconic to me. But Richie, yeah. Richie gets he, he gets stabbed like I don't know a hundred times by, by oh, Sam. that's right. That's <laughs> and right. and that's when that's when Sam's. Like, we actually never haven't spoke about this in her character development. Is mm. that she has. Um, she has a little bit of trauma going on. You know, she's getting visions of her father, mm. Billy. And this plays out throughout the entire film. It's a little bit of a theme for her character. And then by the time we get to the moment where she's stabbing, um, she's stabbing uh, Richie like a hundred times or something. It's a lot of times. It's like, mm. she just keeps going. She's kind of, she has like Billy Loomis's uh, spirit sort of looming in the background while she's stabbing him. Quite a mm. lot, <laughs> mm. uh, which is pretty freaky, and it, it kind of makes you think: Is she going to be a future killer or something? You know, mm. is she going to follow in the same footsteps as her father? Um, yeah. But then, straight after the stabbing of Richie, 
um, she does she completes the one of the rules or not one of the rules but one mm. of the one of the things that you should always do when you take out the killer you should always stab mm. uh, shoot them in the head yeah but uh, Randy says something different Randy says like you should chop their head off and then put it into a freezer and and <laughs> does he remember he says that like in his um in his like sort of oh, eulogy um, type thing you know when yeah, he does yeah, yeah. like he records that piece of eulogy that, for himself because he said if yeah. you find this if you find this I'm recording dead. i'm dead and yeah. he and he talks about what you should do when you come face to face with a killer i'm pretty mm. sure he says like slice the head off um freeze it and then smash it or something like that that's pretty extreme though i mean <laughs> What, what I love, what I love about these movies is that you know um, Sydney gets to shoot all these people in the head and gets off scot free. You know, it's kind of like <laughs> I always question this stuff—the legalities of like people's actions that they take in these movies. Yeah, and it's like, how do you not get arrested and go to jail for this stuff? Uh, but you but know. this, you know, these movies aren't Law and Order or like no, I know. I, <laughs> these I know. movies are slasher films. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so that whole that whole scene plays out where Richie dies pretty bad, like it's a pretty horrible death. Mm. Um, and then our other character, Amber, she she pretty much has like a fight showdown between her, Sydney, and Gail, and it's such a funny choreographed scene because everybody is super clumsy, nobody knows how to fight, yes. and they went out of their way to show us that these are not experienced fighters. Yeah. They're not experienced people with guns and knives. So they're all going to be completely clumsy. Um, and so I love the way this whole th- scene is directed and the way it's choreographed. It's so, so good. And it, it's just funny to watch like <laughs> three, three chicks fight by using like kitchen utensils and, and mm. sometimes a gun. I uh, just, I would have felt like Sydney's character would have had some sort of martial arts training, given that she's been through all this shit at some point. You'd think so. But you'd think you'd so. You'd think so. Yeah. But now she's she's sort of a retired uh, victim. You know, now mm. she has a baby and she has a husband and everything. And mm-hmm. we, we don't know anything about her family, of course. Because <clears throat> mm. um, this movie was, otherwise would have sidetracked. But it's th- this whole final sequence, it's pretty brutal, man. Like, there's biting going on. There's like. <laughs> There's mm. throwing of like objects and you know crippled people like Tara like you know she gets involved with a fight sequence as well where she's oh, that's like right. with the, the crutches yeah she's with the crutches <laughs> she gets thrown over the couch by by uh, by Amber and she's like she's still in her moon boot dude and I'm like what is man this whole yeah. this whole thing is really brutal man it's it's such a it's it's really hard to watch because you're kind of I'm like flinching half the time because mm. everything is just so sensitive and I'm like oh my god mm. uh, there was like uh, do you remember the scene where where Amber gets thrown over the kitchen bench and then she tries to play innocent you know just be- and when she gets thrown over the bench and she lands on the corner of like the kitchen uh, cupboards or whatever um, she she like mangles her nose or something, but then that's when she plays innocent. She's like, no, no, no I was forced into this. I was coerced into this by. Richard oh, Lynch. that's right. Remember, she tries to play the whole innocent thing. Yeah, <laughs> and Sydney and Gail, they didn't buy it for one bit. They didn't buy it. Yeah. Um, and and then she just tries to get back at them and throws a couple of punches, like slams Sydney against like the the fridge door, and <laughs> mm. it's it's pretty chaotic. Everybody's just. Like getting getting their fair share of like you know getting beaten up or whatever, mm. and then um and then she she tries to play innocent again against some um, Sydney and Gail, and Gail has the gun, 
and she's threatening her and telling her to like uh, back down or whatever Mm. and then eventually just shoots her and when she shoots her she falls into (laughs) the gas stove (laughs) and then just catches fire and and then now we have like a a fire show (laughs) but the 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 point there is like because i i kind of question like she amber exclaims it's like you fucking threw like hand sanitizer on me (laughs) <laughs> Which is flammable. It's all alcohol, right? It's all alcohol, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's very, very well crafted. Like they were very mindful of how they did that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember how the gas stove turns on, but I just I was like I, I was trying to oh, wonder like what she, are they doing? I, I think she when she falls, like she accidentally like um turns one of the knobs, you know, when she right. falls to the side. Um, like her hand would have just caught or whatever. And I was like, whoa, we get a whole fire show here. Mm. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty gnarly. But then of course, you know, she doesn't die. Like she still, <laughs> she still comes back comes and back. she runs through like, like a burnt Chucky doll. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. like, and then just get shot on the head. Uh, immediately that was not, not scary, but it is freaky. It's like, you know, you see this half burnt person running towards you in desperation, yeah. trying to do like a, a Hail Mary kind of attack. Yeah. But I guess for our original cast members, you know, Gail and, and Sydney, they're, they're not phased by anything. They've seen everything now mm. up until this point. Um, yeah. and, then, and then this whole scene kind of comes to a bit of an end. There's a bit of a closure between our main characters. Um, there's relief that they've killed the main killers. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a scene that Sydney Prescott and Gail Weathers has where they're sitting by the ambulance and they have a last piece of dialogue with our main character, Sam. And mm. I like this piece of this exchange of dialogue because it's very short and it touches on a point of um, how do I now deal with this moving forward? Mm. You know, she asked, she asked Sydney the question, um, uh, how, how do I get better or something like that? I, I, don't, I can't remember exactly what she says, but she yeah. says, like, you know, um, does it get better or. Um, how yeah i think she said it doesn't get better and then sydney just simply says like she doesn't give like a big um uh you know speech she doesn't give like a motivational speech she simply just says with time it gets better. with time yeah yeah um and then and then like we have the same kind of sweeping camera shots that we have with every single screen film when they finish mm. which is there's like this pan across like uh the environment and mm. which we're finishing on which is usually revolving uh ambulances a news crew a house Mm. in the background Mm. (laughs) and the characters moving off screen Mm. that's the classic way of ending a screen film and they do exactly that with this finale Mm. and that's how we end the movie yeah so it'll be interesting to see like yeah it'll be interesting to see like if the twins come back so the twins Mm. you've got sam you've got tara um Yep. Liv is dead. Amber. Liv is dead. Yeah. Amber's dead. Richie's mm-hmm. dead. The Killers. Um, and yeah, we just basically got them. It's like the Carpenter brother and uh, the Carpenter sisters. Sisters. And yeah. the Meek Spartan mm. uh, brother twins, I should say. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, our uh, legacy characters are still alive as well Sydney Prescott and Gail Weathers. This was this was always going to be a challenge, you know. How do you how do you come into a new screen film in the twenty first century, mm. um, where the star of the show isn't Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox? How do you do yeah. that? You know, mm. Scream has always been about Sydney Prescott. Mm. Um, I, I think this movie managed to do the behemoth task of 
honoring the legacy characters while mm. also ushering in brand new characters. I think they accomplished that in playing, playing colors. And I'm happy to see another screen film without Sydney Prescott because I think Sydney Prescott is done with the franchise, not in real life particularly, but in in the films themselves. Mm. I think where we we have uh, respectfully honored her as a character, but also given her a story where she doesn't really need to be in this franchise anymore. I I think it's going to be hard for them to do another one. And the reason why I say this is because they've classified each entry in the franchise as something like you have the the rules of a horror movie, sequel, trilogy, requel. What is the next iteration going to be called? You know, is it then a sequel again? Because it's a sequel of the requel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and then what rules are they going to establish now? So I think they, unless they come up with something for that, it might be hard for them to then, go into the next one. Otherwise, I feel like a lot of its uh, position as a movie will get lost for the fans yeah. anyway. Yeah. It, I mean, it's always hard, but like, you know, they always surprise us with the screen films. They always find a way to, to justify their movies. They always find a way to justify the story. Mm. Um, I'm always surprised, but I, I wouldn't be smart enough to come up with that type of storytelling, especially when it's like meta commentary. I think I'd get <laughs> lost too much. You know, I'd get lost in my own meta ness and won't be able to actually uh, demonstrate it on screen correctly. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I will say one thing: it wasn't Matrix Resurrections. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, it shouldn't have been uh, resurrected. It should have stayed in the ground. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So. My, my rating, my score is 9 out of 10. Your one is 8.8. 8.8. 8. 8. 8.8. Okay, 8.8. For me, like a good movie has to be at least over 8. And, you know, it, definitely not a 10. I mean, it did have its flaws. Um, and that's, for me, like Sam's character, uh, sorry, acting wasn't really, it didn't hit with me. Um, but... You know, like the supporting cast, like it's a horror movie. You have to have lower some expectations as well. I feel like nowadays, if you look at IMDb, like it's very, very, very hard to find a movie that's ra- a horror movie, at least that's rated over eight. You know, and if it is, yeah. it, you kind of question it. Most of them are like fives and sixes and most, most of the time threes. So, mm. um, so even when I see something like new, I'm like, oh, it's got a good rating, but I'm like, I'm going to wait a little bit longer to see what the actual rating is going to be. But this one definitely, um, when I saw the ratings, I think it was like 70 or 80%. I was like, okay, well, it's holding up well on an opening weekend. So, you know, I, that could just be all the diehard fans, like, trying to boost it. Um, mm. But I definitely think that over time, that say as the movie ages in another five years, we might have different standards that are applying for, for horror movies or just movies in general. So people might vote it down. And it's, it's kind of sad because you see um, a lot of the great movies that are out over the years that they get marked down because people are like, oh, I heard this was a great movie, but it's uh, it's not that good. And, you know, people miss uh, the magic of when it came out. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good way to put it. I mean, with with anything to do with any film to do with the horror genre, I think there's always high expectations and it's always going to be hard to recreate new content for the horror genre. Mm. But, you know, for something like the Scream franchise, I want to see this kind of sub sub genre, if you want to call it that, which is the slasher genre. Mm. Cause I don't think this is a classic horror film. In my opinion, I think it's yeah. more its own category called the slasher film. Mm. I want to see more of these films. Cause I am 
I was so excited by the time we got to the end of the film. It made mm. me excited for other movies to be potentially like Scream. And I want to see more of it. And I want to see some directors and writers step up to the plate to see if they could do pull off something like the Scream franchise. Mm. Um, but don't give us the same formula. Do something a little bit different. Yeah, that's originality that needs to come through. Like exactly. uh, Knives Out did well, so we have to wait for the sequel of that. But... You know, mm. I have to go now watch uh, Ready or Not. So Now you have to watch Ready or Not. This yeah. is the perfect, perfect time for me to end this cast and send you off to watch Ready or Not. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, thanks for joining me, man. It's, uh, it's been yeah, a pleasure. Thanks. Always fun. Uh, you know, I, I, as much as, as bad as Scream 4 has been, like Scream is still... Probably like I could probably now talk about it because I, I don't. When people ask me about my favorite movies, I take a long time thinking about it. But I do love the when it did, you know, in its heyday. Like I did love all the slasher films, and you also had like I know what you did last summer. Um, more of those than the actual typical horrors, like you know your, your Freddy's and Jasons. Like they do have their place, but I think mm. there's something more terrifying about someone who could be real. Uh, running around killing people for a reason versus some supernatural entity that doesn't exist in our plane of society. So Yeah, that's true. Where can everyone yeah. find you? What's your social media handle? Oh, social media. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at jasey.me. Uh, my website is exactly the same. Um, yeah, and that's primarily where I post. And uh, you will find a lot of dance content on there and probably some memes from time to time if you check my story. So if you want to laugh, uh, I do have an acquired taste of humor, but uh, you might find it uh, <laughs> something up your alley. Have a, have a follow or have a look. Nice, nice, nice. And you can find me, my personal Instagram handle is river underscore villi. That is V-I-L-I. Um, if you haven't actually subscribed, well, you can't actually subscribe to my podcast because I'm not on YouTube. <laughs> um, if you haven't liked or uh, clicked the notification button on whatever streaming platform you are listening to, uh, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or even Podbean, which is where I host all my podcasts, episodes make sure you do that right now if it's your first time here then you know we want to see you back here because when we talk movies we talk movies for a very very long time <laughs> what's our runtime now our runtime now is two minutes no not two minutes two hours <laughs> two Sounds hours right and one minute that's usually the time that we take for these episodes because you know we we love films and i'm pretty sure you listening if you've made it to the end of this podcast for scream you also love movies the same way that we do so be sure to tune in for the rest of uh the year we've got heaps of episodes coming out very very soon uh the next uh set of reviews that i'm going to release will be on the nolan no, i was gonna say the nolan franchise <laughs> but the, <laughs> the christopher nolan slate of films so Ooh. every single movie that christopher nolan has directed we will be reviewing and recapping all of his films, starting with the one that made him very, very famous, Memento. Memento. So that's going to be yes. that's going to be released later in the week. So stay tuned for that. Um, thank you for joining us, JC. Appreciate it. Thank you. And for Legit Cool, I am Rivervilli. <laughs>